When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Art of Charm podcast, where we break down the science of powerful communication and winning mindsets so that you have the cheat code to success with people. Every episode is jam-packed with actionable steps to unlock the hidden superpowers inside of you. We call that your X factor, and it's what makes you extraordinary. Level up with us each week by listening to interviews with the best in business, psychology, and relationships. We distill thousands of hours of research into the most effective tools and the latest science so that you could start winning today. Let's face it, in order to be seen and heard, your communication needs to cut through the noise, and we're going to show you how. I'm AJ, a recovering introvert, cancer biologist, and self-development junkie. And I'm Johnny Zubak, former touring musician, promoter, and rock and roller. And for the last 15 years, we've trained thousands of top performers and teams from every background. We have dedicated our lives to teaching men and women elite communication, networking, and connection skills, and our world-famous training programs. That's right. Everything from these shows is packed into our in-person and online training programs. Ask us how. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Now let's kick off today's show. Are you struggling to bring out your best self when you're on a date? Or what about attracting the right partner or even maintaining a successful, healthy relationship? Because all of this is what our guest today is going to discuss. Dr. Taylor Burroughs helps you find your blind spots and break through them. Taylor is a retired mental health counselor and marriage, couples, and family therapist who's been doing this for over 14 years. She retired from her clinical practice in 2019 and started working as an independent consultant. Now she helps people build not just healthy relationships, but ideal relationships. Welcome to the show, Dr. Burroughs. Welcome to the show, Dr. Taylor Burroughs. It is wonderful to have you and I have met many discussions. We did an Instagram live before, and I'm happy to have you on the Art of Charm podcast because we're going to have a wonderful discussion today. What had piqued my curiosity and why we wanted to bring you on is you put out a video. And if I get the title wrong, please correct me. But it was 10 ways neuroticism shows up in men. And AJ and I's work in the last 15 years of running live programs, we had given all of our clients a personality test, which is OCEAN, which is used in psychology, at least for the best of everyone's ability to establish personality types. And neuroticism usually from us sending it out, had come up very high in our clients. But that's also the amount of folks who are willing to admit that that they have some neuroticism. And one of the things that that I enjoyed about your video was we have to first admit that we all display signs of neuroticism, and it's on a scale. And if we can perhaps destigmatize the word itself and discuss it, that more people will be able to come to terms with some of these, the way they exhibit it, and then go ahead and start to work on getting better at it. Yes. And it's not all bad, right? There are adaptive elements to having these traits and you can be both neurotic and also very confident and sort of wield it in a way that it's quite I don't, I don't know, like quirky in a cute way. You know what I mean? There's a lot of high powered people that 
are fully embracing their neuroticism and it's what's made them successful. So it's definitely not like an exclusive quality to being insecure and timid and unsuccessful. I think for a lot of our clients in their professional career, it pays off to be neurotic, to be highly motivated, to be self-analytical, to show up in a lot of the ways that we're going to talk about here. But when it comes to interpersonal relationships and really having the trust in your actions and the way people are responding to you, it creates a real barrier to creating successful relationships, both romantically and socially. I just want to point this out as well. We're now living in a post-Seinfeld world. And when I say that, I mean that these cute little traits that we find interesting or curious or attractive about somebody at the beginning of dating tend to get more and more, uh, how we say, they go from cute to frustrating and then to unattractive. There is a cycle there. And so the other thing is about once we can identify these troubled areas that stop us from connecting, we're able to start working on them and getting them under control so that they remain cute. They remain quirks, as as you were saying. Yes, I think it, you know when it comes to getting to know somebody, they can just really be the clutter in the way of connection. So it's really important to be able to clarify, you know, your communication and the way that you are interacting with someone, so that you can get to the truth of what that is, right? Like I see vetting and, you know, people call it dating, but vetting is really the getting to know you stage. A lot of that is revealing what the truth of your connection is and not trying to force it to be something in particular. Because, you know, if you care about someone or you like someone, you're attracted to them, you usually want a particular outcome, but that can steer something in a wrong direction that it's not supposed to become just because, you know, you have that motivation there. So I think overthinking will just make that job even more difficult because (laughs) you've got all this clutter in the way. Now, Johnny and I are very familiar with the work that you do, but I'd love for you to explain a little bit about yourself and your background for our audience as we kick things off. Sure. Uh, I'm a retired mental health counselor and a retired marriage and family therapist. So my PhD is in marriage and family counseling. And when I retired my licenses, I just wanted to work online independently. And so it's it's very different work and uh, it allows me to work location independently, globally with anybody. And I've really augmented what I learned formally with a lot of my own sort of autodidactic knowledge that I've acquired in my own life experience and personality and just being more directive and more like a mentor to my clients. So they seek me out because they align with my values and we can really get straight to the work rather than spending a lot of time building trust. They already trust me. So it's great. Uh, I really like this, this type of work that I've been doing. So I focus on mostly, I would say singles, although I do work with couples as well, because the vetting system is really a whole life paradigm shift. It's applicable in all facets of life. So my book, The Vetting System, is is not geared towards married or coupled people, but it definitely applies. And so people who want to prevent a disastrous type of relationship that they have to either 
totally fix and transform or extricate themselves from. Really want to learn how to spot <laughs> the, the things that matter in a partner so that you know who to invest in and how to escalate, you know, a relationship as it grows. So I really reframe people or the process of dating as reserved for after you have more clarity around what your intentions are. And vetting is more so the very beginning stages as you're getting to know someone. Yeah. And we all know in dating, especially in the online dating world, that many of us will present a great first impression, a very curated social media feed. And then as we start to get to know someone, the more time spent with them, we let our hair down, the honeymoon phase is over, and a lot of these neurotic tendencies that we're going to talk about start to showcase themselves. And unfortunately, what a lot of our clients struggle with is when these signs are present, the other person loses interest, but the other person isn't often going to be able to articulate exactly why they're losing interest. And a highly neurotic person is going to seek out those answers because they want to know exactly what it was that push the other person away and what it maybe could be that they can improve. And in actuality, that just creates a vicious cycle that hurts them even more and turns the other person off. And we see this in a lot of our clients who come to us saying, well, I did everything you guys talk about. I followed everything to a T and she's not responding to my messages. She doesn't want to go on a third date with me. I can't figure it out. And this is a repeat pattern now with multiple potential partners. And what can be very frustrating is there isn't that closed feedback loop. It's just the other person loses interest, can't articulate it, and they're gone from your life. And you're kind of left wondering, well, how do I pick up the pieces? How do I improve? And it can be a very frustrating process. Yeah, I hear that a lot. So that's definitely common from my my camp as well. And I think too, you know, when people are overthinking things, it's like they don't recognize that the other person can probably be <laughs> a little bit neurotic themselves. And so instead of having empathy for the other person and maybe thinking the best, they always go to the worst case scenario. But, you know, I think it's obviously it's something that affects your in, in your entire life. So it's, you want to get a, a grip on these, if it's anxieties, insecurities, self-doubt, self-consciousness, just ruminative thinking, you know, where you're like, what ifing scenarios constantly, that's going to slow you down across the board. So it, it, it behooves you to attend to this and try to clarify and create more effective self-talk and thinking patterns. So we've kind of danced around it, and Johnny and I know it quite well, but I'd love to start with just defining neuroticism. As we said at the beginning, it gets a bad rap. Many people would not want to self-identify as neurotic for exactly that Seinfeld example. But what is neuroticism? How does it show up in our personality? A lot of times, I mean, it's just easy to think about it as overthinking. <laughs> so you're overanalyzing things, your, I guess it's like very exhaustive uh, analysis, like analysis paralysis, insecurities, self-consciousness that puts you at the, the center of every bad scenario, basically taking the blame, internalized blame for things, always making things about you, thinking other people are thinking bad things about you. And yeah, I think it's trying too hard as well. A lot of people just really want to project an image that they think will make a good impression rather than just being present and being their best self in the moment. So it's it's basically a way that you take yourself out of your body and you're just really residing in 
your brain <laughs> and, and that's not effective. So you really need to have that integrated sense of self where you're connecting your body, your mind, your spirit, and you're able to flow more naturally between them and not sort of hyper-focus or obsess about your thinking. Interesting. And I think that's where it plays a role anytime that there is clutter in the middle of that integration between all of those is where the, the hiccups are and that's where it shows up. And for those who are listening to this, who are still not convinced that they show any of these traits, we should go through them because even for myself and watching your video, I was like, oh, I, I do that from time to time or, oh, I, I recognize when I do this. So I think we should go through them and talk about how these things manifest themselves. Okay. Well, I don't know if you have the notes in front of you. I don't have any notes in front of me. <laughs> I, I, I do. So we okay. can go through. All the, I, um, so the, the first one was restlessness and impatience. Yeah, I think people are very um, fast-paced. They expect results right away. And then they assume that things are reflecting something negative about them when it could just be totally irrelevant, like some kind of external thing is happening. And if you just, uh, if you're able to see the bigger picture, step back, slow down, right? Like it, I think it's, it's a lot easier to come to some kind of constructive conclusion about whatever event you're analyzing. But when it comes to restless behaviors, like twitches and stuff, you know, you'll notice people might be hyperactive, hypervigilant, they're fidgety. And so they're constantly moving. And it's a lot of the, the things that I'm talking about are connected. Like I did a recent video on the four stress languages too. And I talked about the, the flight response. And so when you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed, right, the stress is really high. The flight response is about being overactive and restless. So you're going to be running away from those scenarios where you have to be intimate with someone because it kind of puts you on the spot and makes you confront something and you're not, you're not prepared for it or you're not ready for it. So then you start maybe talking fast, you, you want to leave, you feel suffocated or trapped. And so they're very related. That person who's feeling restless is, might throw themselves into work, you know, just occupy their time in an obsessive way kind of procrastinating doing something else, you know, like if you're procrastinating dealing with one thing by doing something else. So it can be rewarded, which is part of the adaptive part element of it, right? Like when you're restless, sometimes you can end up doing something, something positive, but not necessarily what you're supposed to be doing by having the conversation with the person. Absolutely. And we see it in our clients and, and much like yourself working with high achievers, this restlessness, this impatience will often lead to breakthroughs in your career, will lead to you tossing and turning until you find the solution. But that impatience with others, when it, we're talking about interpersonal relationships, will lead to you searching out YouTube videos, searching out the art of charm, following whatever model is available to you, and then getting quickly frustrated when you don't get that result as fast as you would like. You don't get that date. You don't get that girlfriend. You don't get that boyfriend as fast as you would like. And of course, that impatience, I'd love to talk about how it feels on the other side. So for someone who's experiencing you being impatient, it does show a sign of lack of confidence, a lack of actual need for connection with the other person, making it about yourself. 
And that's very off-putting. That's very unattractive when we're talking about a romantic relationship. So true. And, and that was actually something that I wanted to mention is men in particular don't always understand how intuitive women are. <laughs> and so I'll sometimes get into a conversation with the client who's like, well, I didn't tell her I was thinking these things. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not understanding. You, it, you don't have to tell her. She doesn't have to like explicitly know these things. She senses it. The way that you think when you're in this ineffective state gets translated through your behavior or lack of behavior. And so when it, it like it's you might say i don't know why it didn't work out but i know why it didn't work out because i've heard you talking about what what you were experiencing this whole time and even though you didn't tell her she felt it and that pushed her away because it's very well one thing if we talk about sexual polarity like a woman doesn't want to deal with a man who's you know flustered and all in his head and insecure it comes off as very you know obviously he lacks confidence but also feminine in a way, right? Like you don't want to have to caretake to the man and put his mind at ease. It should be the opposite. So it really inverts the sexual polarity as well. And so we'll push away healthy women. And what we've found through the years of filming men interacting with women, yes, women might not be able to read your mind, but your body language, this twitching, this restlessness, this furrowing of the brow, this impatience will often show in your facial expressions. It will leak out in other ways that you're not really conscious of, but she is picking up on. And this repeated signal over time exactly showcases to her that, well, you aren't self-assured. You aren't really clear in what you want. And that impatience puts a lot of pressure on the other person in that interaction to be more present, to be more grounded, to be more calm. And as we talked about, no one is zero on neuroticism. So she's also having some self-conscious thoughts. She's also wondering how she's showing up. And if you're putting all of this pressure on top of any internal pressure that she's feeling, well, that's a recipe for disaster. And one of the reasons that we had done the video work is for the guys and where the participants are so they are able to see themselves. And when they see those behaviors on video, they start cringing. And if it's like, well, if you're seeing that and you are cringing, imagine how she feels. And of course, we open it up to our stand-in and she's like, well, yeah, I didn't know what was going on, but I had felt very off and un at unease. So then, then I reacted to him. So now they're, what they're, they're seeing a behavior and then they're seeing the, the emotional response in the other person. So they'll cringe from the behavior that's being exhibited. And then there's a, a double cringe of how it made the other person feel. And when it comes to self-awareness, we had dis discussed this on the show that there's two components to that. One is your awareness of how you relate to the world and how you are feeling. And the other component to that is how you make other people feel. And it's difficult to have that perspective, but when you see it on video, there's no denying it. And sometimes it's such a shock that people automatically make drastic, radical changes right there and then after seeing that. 
That's amazing. That's such a, a powerful medium of, you know, instruction. And it reminds me of, of frame, you know, that concept gets tossed around a lot, but whether we're talking about leadership, like in a professional scenario or leadership in a relationship scenario, when you're interacting with, with a woman, she doesn't have to shit test you. Life shit tests you. And if you're feeling, you know, shaken like that and you can't handle the discomfort or the awkwardness, whatever happened, whether it was something you maybe instigated or just something that happened externally, she needs to see that you can be calm and composed, that you're not looking for validation or approval. And so having that ability to stand firm through that discomfort, one, she wants you to make her feel more comfortable, but also there's a time and a place for just guiding her through appropriate tension in in a way that doesn't phase you. And so you have to demonstrate that. And it's important. It's an important piece of sexual attraction is that, that energetic, yeah, like just, it's like harmony, you know, like two people who fit together. One is more like the the frame and the other is more of the emotion. Now, the second signal that you discussed was pressured speech. Mm -hmm. And this is another one that presents itself in those moments of tension, this need to fill that space with words and speed up the pace of the words that you're choosing, which again, puts a lot of pressure on the other person. Pressurized speech, just thinking about it, makes the other person uncomfortable. And when we're talking about a romantic setting, well, both parties want to be able to add to the conversation. They want to reveal their personality. And if you're filling all silence with your words and putting all of this extra energy into the conversation, again, very off-putting and unattractive. Yes. It's, uh, you know, you have to be comfortable with those moments of silence. And I think that's where a lot of the magic happens, right? Like you can truly connect in a nonverbal way. And, and that's usually the more significant way that you connect with someone. And you can invite, you know, appropriate types of touch in those moments too, or just, yeah, just being together. But it's also true in, in friendships that you want to be mindful of that reciprocity that you have, that nice natural rhythm of sharing. So you're not dominating a situation. I think I did a video a long time ago about <laughs> how oftentimes men will err on talking too much <laughs> on a first date. And it's a, it's a very typical error, but I think it's, they want to make a good impression. They want to be interesting. So they start telling a whole bunch of stories. And I know you guys are very familiar with how to have better social skills and etiquette so that you can draw in the other person through your own curiosity and being interested in them. So it's the reverse, really, that creates better connection. Well, what's interesting about that is for a lot of our clients, they may have come to us in the beginning of with the, the idea of I had I always run out of things to say and I want to be better in conversation. So, of course, they learn a ton from our podcasts and from our products of great conversational tools. And then they swing the pendulum the completely the other side. And now they're just they're armed to the teeth in great conversation. But but it doesn't stop. There's no re, there's no space for her. And if you're not allowing her to share, well, that this conversation is uneven. It's it's weighted down by of all of his side. And she's not going to feel that it was very productive because he had left learning nothing about her, but yet she knows everything about him. 
Which is the vulnerable position to be in, right? <laughs> right. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I was going to say, with that pressurized speech, we often have a tendency to overshare. <laughs> we might end up sharing our insecurities and putting our foot in our mouth because, again, we're filling that silence with words. And if you go on YouTube, you look at some of the best orators, you watch the creators that get tons of views, there are moments of silence. There are pauses to let the person who's listening, who's watching, catch up to what you're saying. 
And if there's this incessant need to fill all of that space with more stories about yourself, more revealing who you are as a person, you're just loading up the other person with a lot more to think about, and you're not walking away knowing anything about them. And what's funny, again, in this video work segment, we'll ask at the end, well, what did you learn about her in that conversation? You, you talked for two, three minutes. What did you learn about her? Mm-hmm. And it's funny on day one, when they're first trying this video work, they'll often say, oh, wow, that's right. I didn't learn anything about her. I felt the need to fill those two, three minutes with everything I could find to get her attention, get her interested. Or if they're thinking about what they're going to say next, they're not paying attention <laughs> if she is sharing. So you definitely need to be present. And that is, it's a, once I think you get that aha moment and you figure out what presence truly is, it can be a very simple thing to master. But, you know, you, you have to start, obviously, the self-awareness is usually the hardest piece, recognizing how caught up you are in the future, you know, thinking ahead and jumping to conclusions rather than just focusing on your breath, focusing on the moment and being uh, like observant, basically. That observation is going to give you the rhythm of their conversation. And it's something that I've been focusing on as being on sales calls or being being uh, doing these interviews. And, and we had a few run-ins already where we had jumped on top of each other asking questions or whatnot, trying to establish what the rhythm of this interview is going to be. And you can't figure that out beforehand. You have to allow it to, to, to lay out and then you can see what it is from there. However, if you're constantly talking, trying to fill up that space or being focused inward with all your, with the anxiety going on, you're not going to be able to see that rhythm. And you, and something that you said in that observation that is going to be very important. You said the magic is in the, in those, in those silences. And if you're not picking up that rhythm, those silences are not going to be there and you're missing out on allowing the magic to develop. And something I usually like to, to offer people when they're talking about these difficult exchanges is remembering if you're feeling uncomfortable, really tap into the empathic thinking, the emotional intelligence in the moment because you want to try to make the other person feel comfortable too. So maybe asking them a question or just putting yourself in their shoes so that you can technically like get outside of your own head and see things from their side of things. So empathy is so important too. So that's just something I wanted to mention. Well, in these moments in romance, we're looking to create sexual tension and tension can be created one of two ways silence, leaving the other person wondering what is going on, who is this person, is there that spark? And then there's the inverse of sexual tension, which is loading the conversation with everything about you, leaving no room for mystery, no room for any wondering or thinking about after that date, who is this person, which often leads to the next signal, which is repeating yourself. And we see this in a lot of our coaching clients in our X Factor program. They'll ask a question of us and we're looking to help them work through and strategize and they'll end up repeating themselves and sharing the exact same thing a few times as if they're making a better point or they're making it more clearly. But in that repeating yourself, you actually 
don't sound self-assured. It doesn't sound like you know exactly what it is that you want to communicate. And that pattern can be one, again, that's very off-putting for the other person who's receiving the repeated message over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I think sexual tension is something else that's <laughs> misunderstood or, or people think that it has to, to lead to that specific exclamation point at the end of the interaction in one way or the other. It could be a kiss or something, right? But I think the sexual tension, especially with some of my clients who know that the women are not open to sexual activity, you know, for the time being, they don't know how to keep that flirtatiousness alive without sort of being directive about it, you know, like just sort of sitting with it and letting it build in, a, in that anticipation, just sort of, I don't know, exist without like a place to go for a while. So that can be tricky. Definitely. The over-explaining is, again, linked to this pressurized speech and repeating yourself, this need to get into every last detail, to fill the other person in with every possible thing that you're thinking, and oftentimes can come across even worse, like mansplaining and be completely off-putting. Yeah, hopefully, I think people who are trying to mansplain a situation to death, uh, I mean, hopefully the woman will kind of step up and like <laughs> steer the conversation into a more relevant direction, but we don't want to leave it to them, right? Like you, you want to be able to catch yourself doing these things and at least redirect the conversation because you do have an opportunity to shift, right? If you see yourself making a mistake, it doesn't have to be like a disaster. You don't have to like panic, like just stay calm and switch gears. Like it's never too late. It's such an excellent point. And I know many who are highly neurotic may also be perfectionists. So we'll often feel like, oh, no, I'm, if you're listening to this right now and you're recognizing, okay, I, I do one or two of these things, all is not lost. <laughs> Dating is imperfect. And oftentimes some of these things will be imperceptible to her. But if it's repeated and if every interaction is filled with these signals, then of course you're pushing her away. You're removing that ability for her to be attracted to you. I agree with that. That's a good point. <laughs> I was going to say our, our next one is overthinking. And it is something that we see a lot because as, as we opened the show up, we were talking about high achievers. And if for engineers, problem solvers, analytical minds, they're constantly looking at things and, and putting analysis to it in order to figure out how to make it work or how to fix it or how to make it better. And if you have a job in which you are doing that eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day, it is not something you easily stop doing when you're socializing. In fact, it's just going to keep running because the idea here is that is a a mental model that you use to put food on the table, to put a roof over your head, to put clothes on your back. And you might even be incredibly successful doing that. However, in the realm of something as, as, as I like to call socialization is an art form and an art form is something that needs to just develop on, on its own. It, there is not, it's not, it's not anything that you can plan ahead for. So let's, discuss that. Yeah, I think the art form I like because 
it's the the organic, the creative energy again. Like if you're overthinking and the situation, the conversation, and you're there are def- definitely elements from your professional side that can be useful in social interactions. But for the most part, I think you you want to be felt as authentic. You don't want to be felt like you're performing. And so making sure that that you know who you are beyond all the masks that you wear, right? I think that's probably at the forefront. So do your clients go through a process where they are able to identify or articulate who they are or who they're, they're, they want to be? <laughs> well, for us in the overthinking realm, it is to get them in a situation where they can't think their way out of it. So improv is a wonderful activity to where they have to p- take that hat off and put one on that is more suited to working through the session. And when you're, when you're overthinking, you can't do improv. You can't force the, the next bit or, or figure out what's coming at you. You have to be able to just listen and go with the flow. And once they have some success with a different hat on, it allows our clients to feel more comfortable knowing, hey, I can be witty. I can go with the flow if I just allow myself to do that and, and to have some practice with it as well. And to answer your question, this allows them to start to see themselves as perhaps witty and a more creative mind for the first time, and then slowly work to get more comfortable with that. I think many of our clients are in the situation where the response that they're receiving is negative or not what they're looking for. And then that intense self-judgment comes into play. And it can be hard to find from that viewpoint who you really are, what you really want, you can fall into a people-pleasing frame and chasing others' attention and approval. And we like to start with just overall frameworks of how normal, natural conversation and flirting flow, and then refine that with some simple strategies that they could implement that won't lead to over-analysis or overthinking. And then from there, once you have an understanding of, okay, the how, we have to dig into the why. Why do you want this? What are you looking for in a partner? Who do you want to become? Because if you can't communicate that, well, you're going to be on a string of endless first dates and swiping Tinder all hours of the day looking for that next option because no one is going to gravitate and want to stay with someone who isn't clear on who they are and, and what they want. So that process for many is getting to a place of, well, I know that I don't like the results that I'm getting and brute forcing it and putting way more effort and energy is not getting me better results. And they've usually tried that. And it has worked in other areas of their life. So they come to us for coaching, realizing that they want to shorten the timeline to success. And they want to have a better understanding of how to actually do things appropriately. And what's fun about it is once they actually get some wins, so that first laugh in improv, they get great feedback from a good interaction on video where they see things working the right way and they see those clear signals in a positive manner, it takes the blinders off. It takes the self-judgment off and allows them to see themselves as charismatic, as confident, as someone that a woman that they would be attracted to would be attracted to them. So that process is very revealing. But oftentimes, they're usually sitting there seeking out YouTube videos for tactics, for what to say in this distinct moment, or, hey, I had this one situation, how do I handle it? 
And sure, you know, tactics are great, but if you don't have overarching frameworks to work from, well, what happens after that moment passes? What happens on the second date? What happens when you're meeting her parents for the first time? Without frameworks, there's no tactic for how to get the dad to laugh at your first joke. There's no tactic to get her mother more interested in who you are. So we have to move beyond tactics. We have to understand frameworks for human connection, the science and why human connection naturally flows in this way. And then we have to definitely dig deeper into what are your values? What are your motivations? And and what are those end goals that you see in your life? And the clearer that is, the more attractive you become to the right woman. And then you spend less time on apps, less time on dates that don't really inspire you, that excite you. And you actually build the constitution to say no, to, to turn women down who aren't a good fit for you. And many in our audience listening are probably sitting there going, well, I'm going on dozens of first dates. You know, I just was speaking with a client a couple of days ago and he's like, I'm going on tons of first dates. And I'm like, well, how many of them are you excited for? He's like, well, it's practice. Well, practice isn't why we're, we're playing this game. If you're going on a ton of dates with no spark and a ton of dates with women that you're not interested in because they simply swiped right on you, well, that's not going to build up to you getting inspired to create this spark and attraction, sexual tension that we're talking about. Yeah, you just shared so much, <laughs> a lot of insights. I think that that self-awareness and clarity is is at the core. And I'm thinking also of like, context is really important. The more you are comfortable or confident in the context that you're in, the better, right? And that's not to say that it doesn't go the other way too. You want her her to be comfortable. But a lot of times men will just make up these dates that they think the women are going to enjoy, you know, (laughs) like instead of thinking about it that way, like how can I impress her or or what does she want to do? Really just invite her into your life, whatever it is that you enjoy. And so that helps you disarm yourself so that you can kind of let down that guard and just be cool in the moment. And she's along for the ride and you get to vet her and see how she responds to some of these shared interests or values or just your general lifestyle aspects. And and that to me is a much better way of taking someone on a date. (laughs) Now, this this next signal that we're going to talk about jumping to conclusions is often as a coach, something we simply unpack with why, why, why do you believe she feels that way? What evidence do you have to believe that? And many times we're in a situation where there's absolutely no evidence other than past experiences or low self-esteem, low value that leads you to jump to the conclusion that one signal is now her uninterested in you, her judging you, her showing to you her disdain. And that jumping to conclusions repeatedly will just lead the other person to feel like, well, they're not listening, they're not invested in in what I actually have to share. And of course, it leads to that rumination and that anxiety if every conclusion you're jumping to is negative, that this person doesn't like me, she's not interested in me. And that can be a very difficult frame and pattern to break out of. Yeah, and I've seen that coming to a head in a few scenarios that have ended up quite funny, where somehow there was information gathered, like usually you don't know, like you said before, you don't know what happened, it just sort of fades away, they ghost you or whatever. But there's this one thing I'm thinking about, this instance where a client's friend somehow came across this girl who posted something on her social media 
bashing him for one of the things that he texted her. And he's like, what a crazy witch. You know what I mean? Like, so it helped him see, okay, before I was totally taking all the heat and the responsibility for messing this thing up. But now I realize she's just a very (laughs) miserable person and I don't want anything to do with her anyway. So it's almost like, you know, if you're going to jump to conclusions, jump to the conclusion that's going to help you internalize something constructive for yourself and move on. It's interesting. Part of this is this information gathering. And unfortunately, due to social media, we have too much information, but that information is also incomplete. And what we end up doing is we end up filling in the blanks with our 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 own thoughts of what this information means. And then we draw conclusions from that that may or may not be helping us uh, in, in this vetting process and bonding. And one of the, th- I, I, we had did a dating episode on dating apps uh, a few times. And this is what makes it difficult because a guy will get a match. He'll get excited about the date. And then he, because her social media is connected to the, the dating profile, he wants to go on the date and impress her, so he wants to find out everything about her so that he, and this goes both ways as, as well. Women do their research quite, quite as well. But so they, they, they go on this information gathering, they got all these notes, and then they start constructing how this conversation, this date is going to go. And then, of course, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the face, the old Mike Tyson quote. So when the conversation steers off or it's not going as planned or as a major freak out of, of what's going on and how to get it back on track where they had put so much energy and effort towards. Social media can be a real hindrance. That's for sure to, to real connection. People will misconstrue so many things and men will ask me a lot. My clients will ask me, well, what do you think about her social media? Is she too, you know, narcissistic or is she too like much of an exhibitionist? Is she vain? And so putting that into perspective, I really just, I help people understand like the empathy piece again, right? Like coming from her perspective, you're a single woman, women need attention (laughs) and they're also socialized to, you know, value their beauty and and there's nothing wrong with, with, celebrating beauty, but you just want to make sure her values align with yours. So you want to know that she doesn't cross the line of obscenity or anything like that. But ultimately, counting the number of selfies she has on her Instagram page when she's a single woman, not doing anything wrong is going a little too far with, you know, creating that narrative and that story that's painting her into a picture that Perhaps she's not just because she's chatting or sending, you know, you can see her interacting with different men. It doesn't mean anything. You have to get to know her and vet her more thoroughly in order to come to a reasonable conclusion. I think everyone uses their social media differently as well. Some people use it more of a a business tool. Some people use it to share their experiences. Some people are very private with their social media. You can't draw conclusions from, from that either. And I think a big problem and a pattern that we see in a lot of our clients when it comes to this asynchronous communication is this jumping to conclusions that silence hours or days between messages means that there's something you did wrong or there's some dislike. And, you know, we've, we've heard examples of, well, she's not responding to me. 
Yeah, well, where, where is she? Well, she's on vacation with her family in Hawaii. Okay, so why would you be top priority if she's swimming with sea turtles and she's spending time with her family over the holidays? <laughs> why is she jumping to her phone to respond to you? Oh, well, I saw she posted to her Instagram story or I saw she viewed one of my stories. And it's like in asynchronous communication, everyone wants to put their best foot forward. Everyone wants to have the witty comment. Everyone wants to be adding to the conversation. And sometimes it leads to both parties overthinking. But the overthinking and then the, turning it into the negative and the personalizing it, this cognitive distortion that we see over and over again is one that can lead to you pushing the other person away and making the other person feel like, well, why do I have to explain myself? Why do I have to explain that I'm in Hawaii swimming with sea turtles in my family? Can I enjoy this moment? Yeah, I was thinking about you, but the phone was on the shore and I didn't get a chance to respond immediately. So we can find ourselves getting caught up in this asynchronous communication and feel like, well, I sent the text. Where's the response? I see all this other activity. I'm, I'm owed a response immediately. And that's just not true. And I think giving people the benefit of the doubt and realizing that, hey, you are choosing a medium that's asynchronous, like texting. It's not a phone call. It's not necessarily something that's going to be that responsive. And we've talked a lot about this. Everyone has a different rhythm to their asynchronous communication. I'm really bad at responding immediately to text messages. Friends, family, and my fiance will all admit to that. And everyone has a different pattern of their communication. But when you read that pattern in their communication as a negative or a slight or a judgment against you, that's when the neuroticism is pushing people away. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head too, when you said they don't owe you a response. And that's what I always <laughs> offer is the insight that, you know, before you get to some meaningful level of commitment, you don't owe each other anything. So putting those expectations on the other person, it comes off as possessiveness or paranoia. And those are major red flags for both men and women, right? Men are constantly looking for a woman who's looking for a fight, looking for a reason to not trust them. And so they will back off a woman who displays that too. And also with women, if they see a man who's jumping to conclusions in that way, getting paranoid, territorial, judgmental, that's going to make her hands off like very easily. So definitely, you know, it's not just a neuroticism that's ineffective, it, it really crosses a line into red flag territory. So to be aware of that is important. Yeah, that's such an excellent point because you may be seeking a level of commitment, but if you're not at that committed relationship stage, you aren't owed anything. And, and we see our clients get tripped up a lot. It's like sending multiple text messages. We'll ask, okay, well, you know, they'll share an example. She's not responding to our text. And well, okay, well, can we see what the communication has been, what the pattern has been? And immediately you'll see, well, you are expecting a level of commitment of a girlfriend, a fiance, a spouse with someone you just had a great first date with, or just someone that you've hung out with a few times. And maybe there was some sexual activity, but you're not committed. And there's there's this need to like, okay, I need to be responded to immediately. And that's where this anxiety and rumination will really trip us up. If you have this ever-present anxiety of, well, now she's not interested or um, it must be a judgment on me. And then you're staring at the ceiling at night. You're replaying these experiences over and over in your head. 
that's not putting you in a place uh, of a very attractive state for her to be communicating with you, to be experiencing you, to be excited about that next date or that next opportunity to hang out. Yeah. And I, I'll borrow this term from a friend of mine, a mutual on, on Twitter that I did a, a space with recently. He has a conversation with his clients around having the boundaries, roles, and expectations chat. And so if you've not even clarified those things, that's kind of your test. Have we talked about this? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> I should not have expectations around these things then implicitly because, <laughs> you know, how how is that going to happen? That's irrational. <laughs> And all of this that we're talking about as we went through all these signals just puts a lot of pressure on the other person. And we found that the more relaxed you are, the less you take things personally, the more you're in flow and willing to let the other person express themselves and experience this together, the more confident and attractive you'll become. But there is a situation with neuroticism that creates a lot of pressure and negative, non-unsexual tension in the interaction that leads to you then not getting responded to, getting ghosted, getting blocked on social media, and her feeling like these are not the signals of someone that I want to spend more time with, that I want to invest in a relationship with. And now that we've gone through these signals, I'm sure, as Johnny said, you know, he does some of these. There are certainly some of these signals that I present at times. We all feel anxious at times. It's completely normal. But when we're in a state of a highly neurotic experience and expression, what are some of the underlying causes? What could be going on here? Because I know from your YouTube video, you actually had a pretty interesting theory around some of your experience with clients who have ADHD, for example. I don't think a lot of people think about the externalized symptoms or signs in that way, but I have had a few particular clients like that. So I was starting to, to see common denominator and a pattern approach or coming to the surface. So I really wanted to help them sort through that and really try to redirect themselves to they say, I'm slowing down, Taylor, I'm slowing down. <laughs> so I think that's, it's a really good sort of affirmation or like a mantra to have to yourself when you feel like you might be hyperactive in that way or restless in that way is to just really take your time and slow things down. And I guess not jump ahead, like we've been talking about, but I don't know if there's a particular question you had in mind. So I'm happy to answer if you do. Yeah, we didn't really touch on this. We've touched on this in past episodes, but attachment comes up and a way that you express yourself based on the way that you were raised and, and childhood experiences and or trauma will lead to some of this neuroticism, certainly. And we've also seen similar patterns in our clients who are ADHD, feeling this need, this impatience, this anxiety and attention being put in random places at times that, again, creates that negative tension in, in the way other people experience you. Are those in line with what you've experienced and, and what you believe some of the underlying causes of this high neuroticism could be? Well, you mentioned people pleasing, and I think that that's definitely an issue. So when you're, when you're constantly, you know, overanalyzing and, and being insecure, overthinking, self-conscious, you're trying to consider what the other person needs and not yourself. So you're not putting yourself as your point of origin. And that is usually derivative of some kind of childhood experience, right? Of 
your needs not being met or, or feeling neglected in some way or just maybe even put down, right? Like if you were put down a lot, then sometimes you have a reactive way of trying to, to be heard and you get a little bit more aggressive about it later on as an adult. So recognizing that those patterns can be broken and you can, you can meet your own needs and then have a very, you know, smooth interaction with someone based on not trying to force the outcome again. Right. So just, I I mean, I get back to the, the being the present and being outcome independent a lot, but obviously there's a lot of psychological tie-ins to these dynamics and behaviors that we see. Every situation is different. So I usually try to, when I'm making my content, I'm, I'm usually thinking of like a particular example or a case example that I'm projecting a bit just to, to have a, an educational piece for, for other people that could be experiencing it. And I think that video spoke to a lot of people. So I think maybe more men are experiencing or recognizing that they have this neuroticism that could be interfering with their dating life and relationships. Well, what I want to point out is these patterns that show up in, in the, in dating and betting and getting to uh, connecting with other people uh, if they're showing up there, they're probably showing up in other relationships as well. They're definitely going to be showing up in, in how you relate to people at work, how you relate to people platonically. Uh, it, this is not something that just appears in, in one area. I, I think the reason why it, we connected to dating so much is because that's the one that hurts the most because we're putting our, our heart into that. And when it doesn't get reciprocated, uh, it's it's painful. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think there's a risk in in relationships that you have to you have to confront. And vetting really is mitigating a lot of the risks in relationships. But you can't you can't be completely safe and guarantee something positive is always going to happen. But you have to equip yourself with the capacity to handle whatever comes. And for those in our audience who've nodded through all of these signals saying, yes, this is me, what are some practical things that they can start to do and implement to lower their neuroticism that's present in their romantic relationships? Sure. I really like your suggestion, which I use as well with my clients is that the ad lib, you know, acting classes, public speaking, any situation where you are trying something new, you're out of your comfort zone, you're taking a risk, you really got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So I was speaking to a client, I think yesterday, who has high anxiety and I, and, uh, uh, he watched the video too. So it was something that resonated for him. And I was saying, just, you know, do your research, look up some cool things in your community, in your neighborhood that you can, that you're interested in maybe, or just something that you're curious about and go no expectations. Like you don't have to plan the whole thing out and have a whole structure in place. You can just sort of wing it, right? That is the key of being able to wing it and being okay with things not being perfect. And especially with something like cryotherapy, ice baths, like something that is really uncomfortable, you start to to see how physiologically, because anxiety and all that self-consciousness is is intangible, but you see when you're you're physically uncomfortable, how resilient you are over time. So if you continue to expose yourself to something uncomfortable, it becomes 
easier in a way. Like it's still uncomfortable, but you're able to extend your time, for instance, like in cryo or in the ice bath. It becomes something you embrace or you celebrate and you kind of get a kick out of. So it doesn't, you, you might be resistant to doing it, but it doesn't stop you anymore. It doesn't make you doubt yourself anymore. And that effect is so powerful for all of these more psychological experiences that happen in interaction. And I think a solid strategy to start to slow down. And again, this neuroticism when your phone is in your hand and you can immediately send what you're thinking or you can immediately jump to her social media and you can start the process of ruminating and going through this, of stepping away from technology, stepping out in nature, giving yourself space. And much like you said, trying new activities, well, that allows you to fill space with you using the analytical mind in new ways that are not pointed at yourself and tearing yourself down and creating that space or negative tension in the potential romantic romantic partner that you're communicating with. And anything physical too, really. <laughs> Moving your Sorry. body and getting more more in the body out of your head. As you talked about, a lot of this neuroticism is us being in a hyper in our head state, which doesn't allow us to get to that flow state that allows conversation, connection, vulnerability, and sexual tension to build. And it doesn't all have to be like masculine, right? Like we have both elements in us and it's important to balance that like in an integrated state. One thing that I did that I know there are men who enjoy cooking as well. So it's not just a feminine thing, but I loaded myself with like way too many clients yesterday by accident. And instead of like stressing between the short times between calls, I went and I baked cookies. And that was a way for me to just, you know, like not overthink, not overstress, get in my head. It really helped me get in my body and deescalate myself. So, you know, there's lots of things you can be creative and explore, experiment. For myself, it's music. It, it's, it completely involves different aspects of my personality and brain, and it allows me to create and build and takes me to a completely different place. And without that, I would drive myself crazy. <laughs> Yes, that's a really good example too. And just breathing, like getting back to your breath mm -hmm. um, is so important as well. Because when you are feeling anxious, you are not regulating your breath even. So starting with that can be a simple intervention that will help you perform or behave more effectively. Now, we love asking every guest that joins us what their X factor is. What do you think makes you unique and extraordinary, Taylor? Oh, everybody's got these questions that it's like, puts you on the spot. <laughs> so funny. Uh, my X factor, I I, I've tried so many things. I've done so many things. I've achieved a lot in my life, but I've come back to this very healthy, grounded, integrated state, which I call the sweet spot. And I think that is the key is finding your internal core contentment. And that really brings out a radiance. I think that you can't, you can't fake it. So that's what I got. <laughs> well, for being put on the spot, that was a great answer. And, and I'd love for you to share how our audience can find out more about the work that you do. Sure. Well, I mean, please check out my YouTube channel. Um, I, I put in a, usually a, a video every week. I've been doing a lot of videos on Instagram as well. So it's at Taylor Burroughs or on YouTube, 
Dr. Taylor Burroughs and Twitter as well, or they can get my book on the, on the vetting system, which can be really helpful for them. So I hope that they, they find a way to more of my content. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We have a huge shout out to X Factor Accelerator member Kit, who's celebrating some big wins at work. He received a massive raise and his boss noticed the impact he's made on the team. She's shown her appreciation for the value he's brought to the company and he felt a sense of relief that he didn't even have to ask for it. Congrats, Kit. Speaking up and knowing your worth is not easy. Way to unlock your X Factor at work and be recognized for your accomplishments. You might be wondering, is this it? Is this all there is? Is this the rest of my life? If you've ever asked yourself that question, then you have gotten uncomfortable with being comfortable. You have come to the conclusion that you want more out of life and you're not done. And if that's the case, then join us, the Art of Charm team, and hundreds of other people just like you who are experiencing breakthrough conversations, supercharging their confidence, and growing an incredible network inside the X Factor Accelerator. The X Factor Accelerator is where high achieving, like minded people meet, strategize, and unlock their hidden X Factor to make the most out of life's opportunities and unlock those doors keeping you from success. We start every month with an intense goal setting strategy session, weekly implementation sessions with opportunities to practice rapport building, supercharge your charisma through powerful communication, and build the charm to attract the right people into your life. Are you ready to win at work, love, and life? Imagine what you can accomplish with coaching and mentorship with The Art of Charm. What are you waiting for? Join us today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's unlockyourxfactor.com. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next week, get out there and crush it.